Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. This is going to be a little bit of a continuation from last week. I am really not a series preacher at all. I mean, I could be found December 24th preaching about prophecy and stuff. I mean, I'm just not that you guys should. That was funny. Like, you know, when you go Father's Day to church and you can you already know what they're going to talk about or Mother's Day. I'm not very typical. I think I used to be. But um, but this is a continuum of last week, last week's word, which was called walking in light, walking in light. So this is a continuation, but I felt the Lord highlight this scripture over and over. It's a bit long. It is found in Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine. It is a bit of a long reading, but bear with me and remain standing. If you're sitting, if you could please stand out of respect for God's word. And then after we conclude, you may have your seats. Acts chapter nine, verses one through 22. And it says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priests and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's a capital W, meaning if he found any who were Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light, everybody say a light. A light, who was that light, do you think? Jesus. The light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to, the, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? the Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You got to be careful about messing with God's people because you're not just messing with the person. Well, yeah, you are, but it's just not the person you're hurting. Look at somebody and say, don't mess with me. <laughs> Go ahead, tell them with conviction in your eyes because you end up messing with Jesus. <laughs> He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were, I'll describe maybe a little bit of it later. It's a, it's a actual, a wooden stick that is sharpened. Uh, it is like a, like a, uh, goads were used to herd sheep. It would actually hurt them a little bit if they weren't moving, if they were stubborn. And so Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the goad and so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Look at his response. And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, having, excuse me, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So they heard the voice as well. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. And But they led him by the hand. And they brought him into Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple 
at Damascus named Ananias. And he said, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and straighten Paul out. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there, excuse me, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus whom appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and, I love this, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately from his eyes, something fell like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, and that he is the Son of God. And then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name Jesus in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. In other words, he had a motive for being there. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to give you a little bit of Paul's background. I'm sitting because sometimes, I don't know, I I, I feel like a little itch to just teach just a little bit. I do love to preach. I think that's always my default. But I want to do a little bit of teaching because this is necessary. Um... This continual or this continuum word about walking in light is is very appropriate for where we are in the body of Christ. Say, the Lord wants me to walk in light. I, I love Paul's response. I mean, you have to understand because from all external points of view, it really takes a special kind of man to murder people. Like you would think usually a person who would kill people has a hardened heart. But I really believe that Paul had a sensitive heart. Even though he was kicking against the goad, so to speak, and resisting the Holy Spirit in many ways, look at how quick he responded to the Lord. I mean, he said, Lord, is that you? And he said, just tell me what I must do. This man who was murdering Christians. And, and most people who are smart get it last when it comes to spiritual things. 
Because sometimes our education, our background, our MBA, our degrees get into the way, get in the way of what God wants to do in our heart because God doesn't work through the head. He works through the heart. He works through your spirit. And you can be developed in your mind and be very undeveloped spiritually. You see this very much so in the case with Eli and Samuel. One of, one of the reasons God, God's grace lifted off of the priest Eli's life and the grace began to rest on Samuel. Samuel's just a little boy. And God allowed Samuel to hear his voice where the priest could no longer hear his voice. Because sometimes if, we ser- if we're not careful, when you serve the Lord too long and you and you're not satisfied in growing or you stop growing in your relationship with God spiritually, you may not fall into, uh, how do I say this, habitual sin, but one of the sins that is so easily for the saints to fall into is to start filling our head up with information and then we lose intimacy with Jesus. There's nothing wrong to be educated scripturally. Actually, the Bible says that we are supposed to read and, 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 and conduct ourselves based on the doctrine that the disciples established. So we want to make sure that we are remaining on line upon line, precept upon precept. But if you are not careful, we will supplement information for intimacy. Because where you can no longer feel and see Jesus, you start filling your head and not your heart. Where the scriptures used to move your heart and bring tears to your eyes and the word was alive to you, it begins to be, your relationship with Jesus begins to get cold and calculated and hyper-religious. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? The, 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 there was an old evangelist, a Yorkshire evangelist by the name of Smith Wigglesworth, who was a very hard and rough man. He wasn't, he, he oh, I've heard, people have heard of Wigglesworth before, uh-oh. How many have not heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Not, okay. You have to look him up. He was, uh, just to kind of give you a, a, a depiction of how Wigglesworth was, and there was miraculous signs and wonders that came from this evangelist ministry. This is his disposition. If someone had cancer and you weren't supposed to be physical with them or they would die, like hit them in their stomach. He was known, people would come up to him and say, Smith, why do you hit people when you pray for them? Like he would just tap their stomach or be very gruff and rough with them. He had a very gruff personality. He says, I don't hit people. He says, I swing at the devil and people get in the way. There was this one lady, can I tell you a story? There was one lady who had cancer I think it was some kind of cancer in her stomach. It could have been pancreatic. She was very, very sick. And Smith Wigglesworth uh, is very rough with this lady. And, she, and he prays for her. And she's sick. And this lady slaps Smith. Yeah, he hit her and she hit him back. <laughs> and, and, and she went home and she finds out that she's completely healed. I mean, no, no disease left completely, 100%, unequivocally healed. And she comes to the meeting the next night crying and says, I'm so sorry that I hit the man of God. He actually, when he hit me, I got healed. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, even though that's extremely rare and weird, 
If you think about it, there were, when, there were a, when there was a blind man in the scripture in the New Testament, Jesus actually, I mean, if I did this, you guys would never come back to the church again. He grabbed clay and put his saliva. I mean, can you imagine the process of, and if that person was blind, you know they heard all of the you know, gestures that were being made, you know, all of that stuff. I'm thinking, they're probably thinking, Jesus, what in the world are you doing right now? Are you really about to put spit in my eyes? And these people would get healed. But that was Smith's. And um, I, I, really, I really believe that we are about to go through a reformation, a reforming. And I, I really, I, I believe the church is going to hit a full circle where we are going to see signs and manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we haven't seen before, ever. The Bible says in the last days, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. In the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. He didn't say on one man. He said on all flesh. Everybody say, that includes me. So yeah, so Paul was very heady. Information. And at the end of Paul's life, nearing the end of his life, listen what he boasts about in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 for your notes. Verses 4 through 7. He says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He's talking about his education. He was a Pharisee. Everybody say he was a Pharisee. If anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, listen to this. I more so. In other words, I have more credentials. He says, circumcised the eighth day was according to the law of the stock of Israel. Do you know what he means by that? Of the stock of Israel, he was from good stock. His name, Saul, before he was converted to Paul, he was named after the first king of Israel. Who was the first king? Who was it? So he's saying, I'm of the stock of Israel. He was, he was named after the very first king in Israel. So he's just building a case that, that he has the education, he has the family, he has the background. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he walked upright. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So he was groomed in biblical studies starting at the age of five years old under Gamaliel, which was a major Pharisee who was highly esteemed. It's noted in the book of Acts. What that means is him being a Pharisee, he memorized verbatim the first five books of what we would call the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, excuse me, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And all first five of the books, books of the Bible, he remembered word for word by memory. I mean, I struggle with some scripture references, much less reading five books of the Bible or remembering the Torah. In other words, he was an educated man, studied all through his young childhood, and he became a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he was a leader of leaders. He lived completely blameless, blameless according to the law. In other words, he'd never been with a woman outside of marriage. He never touched a dead person. He was blameless. 
He obeyed the law according to Moses. As a matter of fact, we talk about the 10 commandments. Actually, there were over 100 commandments. Don't eat this, don't do that. Paul was absolutely squeaky clean, blameless. And he spoke two, at least two languages. Some scholars say three. He spoke Aramaic, which was one of his first languages. That's the old Hebrew language. Say Hebrew. So he spoke fluent Hebrew or Aramaic. He also spoke Greek. He personally oversaw, this man personally oversaw the arrest of all those Christians in the Bible. The first, one of the first being Stephen. There's a note in the Bible in Acts chapter 22, verse 20. I'm going somewhere. Don't let me lose you. Look at somebody and say, don't let pastor, pastor lose you. Come on. Come on. Nudge them a little bit. Tell them they should have had their coffee. I'm going somewhere. He personally oversaw the murder of Stephen. Remember Stephen who was chosen by the apostles? The one who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit? Who waited on tables for Jesus? Remember? He was overseeing the widows and overseeing the work. Remember the seven men who were raised up to oversee the work of the apostles so that they can give themselves to prayer, fasting, and the word? That was Stephen. Paul was standing by when he got murdered. He actually guarded the clothes of those murdering him, and he gave the command to murder Stephen. And so, so, so this guy, let me read this in Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 5. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Speaking of Paul being one of them. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move one of them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylactropies broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. This phylactropies, phylactropies, yes, there you go. Does anybody know what that is? Yes, yeah, so it, it, was, it wasn't worn all the time, but when they would go to prayer, they would wear this on their brow and on their arm, and they were written scriptures from the Torah. So when they would go to prayer, they wore it on their outer garments, one on their arm. I'm not sure if it was the left or right. And then there were the scrolls in their brow. There were written scriptures. It was the Bible. Do you remember when Jesus said, they praise me with their heart, but the, excuse me, they praise me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Jesus was speaking to them about those phylactrophies because they had scriptures written on their brow and on their mind, but it wasn't in their heart. He was saying, they serve me out of their head, not their heart. They get more pleasure in reading the Bible than they do spending time with me as they read the scriptures in the Bible. See, you see the difference? And so Paul was one of those who wore those palactrophies. After I thought about this, God choosing a man who murdered Christians, who oversaw their murders, who oversaw bringing them into captivity and throwing them in jail. And to think, think about all of that in the scriptures that you are now reading in the New Testament, two-thirds of them. There's over 20, 
I think there's 26 or 27 books in the New Testament. Do you know how many Paul wrote? About 13 of them. Two-thirds of the New Testament. Look at somebody and say, don't tell me God can't use you because of your past. If you forgave Paul, he could forgive you. Now I want to say this. I want to say this. As I, as, I, as I look at the Apostle Paul's life and we take a glimpse at his disposition when Jesus visits him on the road to Damascus, I, I really think about how much that is correlating with many of our lives where we're finding ourselves. If you think about it, he is literally thinking he's, he's doing the will of God. There are many people who think that they're on the road to their destiny, doing the will of God, walking in the middle of God's will, but are not. There's many who, he thought he was close to God. You can think that you're close to him and not be close to him. Say, I want to be close to Jesus. I recently talked to my wife. It was last week. Well, I talked to her today too. (laughs) You didn't let me finish. Tell them I'm not sleeping on the couch. You can think you're close with the Lord. You can think that you're intimate with him and not be. Paul thought he was on track. He thought he was doing the will of God until the bright light hit his life. I'm sure this bright light was not comforting. I mean, can you imagine he's on the road to go kill more Christians, to find those who are of the way, and a bright light shones around him, and the next moment he's off of the donkey or off of the horse, whatever it was, and he bites the dust. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Saul, Saul, why art thou persecuting me? Totally messes up his entire agenda. I love his response. I was going to tell you this is what I was going to tell you. You cannot trust in yourself. You cannot. I know that's hard. You say, you can't. The flesh, you got to hear this. You cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust your flesh. Because the flesh is very deceiving. How many times have you found yourselves in relationships that I have found myself in different circumstances thinking it was right in the will of God and in the end you find out it's not? And what you thought would be beneficial in your life ends up being the most destructive thing. It could have been a relationship. It could have been a career. It could have been a habit that led you into greater, deeper habits. It could have had some... Because the angel, the Bible says, appears as an angel of light to deceive us. So the other week I was burdened about some things and I went to my wife in almost tears and I said, I have to know this. It took a lot of courage because I'm talking about walking in light. Everybody say, the Lord is calling me to walk in light. Now this takes a lot, but I went to her and it really didn't because I didn't know if I wanted to hear the answer. I said to her, I said, I want to know this, and I want you to please be honest with me. I said, 
I didn't want her to feel bad about telling me the truth. I said, does my life, is my life an example to you? I said, I was trying to say beyond the preaching on Sunday morning, beyond running a ministry, beyond all that stuff, because you could do that stuff and be successful there and and be okay and everybody else think that you're okay and not be okay at home. And your children not 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 honor you. You can you can we can deceive ourselves. And so I went to her and I said, I want you to tell me, does my life bear example to you? And she waited for a second on the phone. What's that? Honey, you know you're not supposed to talk to me while I'm preaching. (laughs) I kind of want to hold near to my heart what she said because what she said really made me feel really good. And she said, yes, you are an example. She said, you are on the phone a little bit too much, but you are an example. And, and, and I'm not saying that to gloat. Don't, please don't clap because that was not for that. I, I want to I I I share this with you. This is the most important point is because sometimes we can think that we're okay and we're not okay. And, and to be honest with you, you almost have to rely on other people's temperatures about you. A lot of people thought I was insecure. Did I do okay? How am I doing here? But I think that is the life of a believer, is the posture of humility and asking them, like, like, do you get Jesus? I know I say I love Jesus. I want to walk with him, and I believe that I do. But what do you get when you're around me? Like, do I, op- I know I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but, but am I, do I really provoke your life to get closer to Jesus? Does my life exude and exemplify the life of Christ? Because what most people do is they walk around deceived and they think, most people think that when they don't, when, when you don't, uh, when things aren't going right in your life, everything seems to be falling apart. The flesh will lie to you and say, it's just those people who don't get it about me. It's just circumstances or they don't get it. When most of the time, that's the opposite. Most of the time, we don't get it. Just like every vehicle has a blind spot, every person in this room, including your pastor, has a blind spot that we can't see. And we must rely on the body of Christ to help us see our blind spots. What is the person who's next to you there for? And I mean that metaphorically speaking. We are meant to help each other because none of us are all of him, but all of us are some of him. And where you're weak, I might be strong. And where I'm strong, you might be weak. All of us together make up the body of Christ so that we can constantly grow, constantly provoke each other to grow in Christ. And Paul, the apostle, did not think he had a blind spot. He thought he had it together. Somebody say he thought he had it together. And most people, when you even point the slightest thing out to them, immediately they get defensive. Can I tell you, I might get a little excited. Can I tell you when somebody is defensive, when somebody is defensive, when we get defensive, I'm talking about me personally, and our guards go up, the enemy uses that defense in us to keep the Lord from finishing the work that he began. I know we quote it, 
may the Lord finish the work that he began. But immediately when we are defensive, it is Satan's tool through you to guard yourself from continuing to grow and becoming more like Jesus. Anytime we get offended at people, anytime that we have resistance towards other people, I know I'm preaching good. You don't have to clap. But when we, when we, when we have that guard up, it keeps us from growing deeper and higher in Jesus because the Lord is constantly wanting to shine his light in our lives to conform us more and more into the image of God. And we all have blind spots mentally and spiritually, things that we can't see in our lives. And here's what I want to say this morning. It is critical. Just write these two simple words down. Be opened. Be open. I, I, want, I want to just read what the Apostle Paul's response was. L listen, listen to what he says. Then he fell to the ground after hearing the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why hast thou persecuting me? And he said, who are you, the Lord? And then he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He could have kicked back and said, all this mess is because of this and that and poor this and that and family and children and a business, whatever it is. Or maybe it's because of other people just not getting me. He didn't say that. He immediately asked. He didn't blame it on circumstances. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you require of me in this situation? Spiritual growth and maturity says this. It must be me. I need to be the one that makes the change. It doesn't need to be the church. It doesn't need to be other people who need to make the change because here's the, that's always the position of Jesus. When those who are trying to seemingly crucify you, you always want to wash feet, not resist it. Jesus is always taking the humble, always taking the low way. And most of us, if truth be told, we are not open to the fact and it might be true that our situations are the way they are, not because of somebody else. I know this is hard. Maybe I should sit down. Most of what we are experiencing, the quality of our life that we are experiencing right here, right now, in the church, in our families, in our children, is not because of other people. Will you come back next week, ma'am? Can I tell you what grieves me more than anything? Anything? As a pastor, this grieves me the absolute most. Is when I watch God trying to break people and they refuse the breaking. It's like you want to say, what else is it going to take? And, and they think it's circumstantial. Like what else is it going to take to break you, to get you to see the light? And here's the thing about God. I'm sure his first response was not to knock him off the horse. I'm sure there were many other times when Jesus stood at the door knocking and saying, don't kill another Christian, Saul. Don't go down this road, Saul. I want to use you in my kingdom. I want you to help expand the church, not diminish it. God's response is never to publicly shame anyone first. Never. He never wants it to go public. But if he cannot deal with you privately, it eventually will happen publicly. When you refuse the chastening of the Lord, when you refuse the processes of God, is everybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? When we refuse to allow God to deal with us privately, he will go public. 
He even stated in Matthew when he talks about dealing with uh, two brothers and sisters or a brother and a brother who can't get along. He says, listen, this is what I want you to do. According to Matthew, look, leave your gift at the altar. As a matter of fact, don't even go lift your hands. That almost came out of my mouth. I had to grab that one back. Like, don't play the hypocrite and lift up your hands if you don't even know how to get along with someone. Like, go leave your gift at the altar, go reconcile with your brother, and then come back when you make things right. Did you read that or was that uh, like... This is what the Bible says. Like, like, if you want to be right with God, how you are with people is a sign on how you are with God. We're just able to hide that better. Because we can sit in our seat and raise our hand, but there's no real uh, currency there. There's no real weight there. It's shown in the way that we love. It's shown in the way that we behave. It's not just about what we talk. It's about how we live. It's our dispositions. If you really want to know how you're doing, ask kids how you're doing. Isn't it true? Is it true, honey? She, her eyebrows are like way up there. She's like, yes. The other day, I went right down on the line, and I think I do this pretty regularly. I would like to think. I look my kids in the eyes, and I say, I want you to tell your daddy, how am I really doing? Like, do I pay attention to you? Do, do I do it? Do you really feel love from me? Do you, do you, because I don't trust myself. We wander so easily from Jesus. We, we think we're doing good we're, and we're not. And we think we're looking like Christ and we're not. We, we think we're walking in light, but we've got blind spots. So here's the other encouragement. God always wants us to break ourselves first so he doesn't have to do the breaking. He, he wants to deal with it privately. And the, the Lord is always trying to deal with us privately. Look at how Paul responded. He responded with humility. Lord, what would you have me to do? He's knocked off of his comfort, his high horse, I call it. And he responds with humility. Humility is heaven's language. God can work with any person. Look, he worked with a murderer. There's one thing God cannot work with. It's pride. He cannot. It's not manageable. It's not pliable. It's unusable. He responded with humility. Watch what he says. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. This is, this is so heavy. I, I, I think it is. Sometimes when we won't listen to the Lord and partner with him in humility, he will so allow our lives to be deconstructed. When we don't rely on him, he will make you rely on other people. Did you hear that? Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. In other words, 
He was stripped of all his power. He was stripped by all of his authority in hopes that he would begin to walk in humility so that he could see Jesus the way that Jesus wanted him to see him. When you start feeling in your life, I'm almost done. When you start feeling in your life like you are becoming more and more powerless in certain situations, do not resist that. Yield to it. Yield to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Let your light. David got this. He said, search me, O God, that, and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. We've gathered far too long to not be further than where we are. I don't mean numbers. I mean spiritually. I mean spiritually. Like we have read this word for far too long. We, 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 we really have. We, we must surrender to God and to one another. And not be, not, not so many different guards that keep us. You ever met somebody who's been walking with Jesus for X amount of years? And then, then you see them years later and it's like they're still in the same spot? Isn't that the most annoying thing? And it's not because God is not wanting to cause them to progress. It's when we resist God's agenda, when we resist God's plan, when we resist his chastening, when we resist the light. Listen to this last scripture. I want you to stand to your feet. I'll say that. Lord, don't even want me to go there. There was no amount of head knowledge that could give the apostle, well, his name was Saul then, could give him the encounter that he needed with Jesus. It, it took a bona fide encounter on the road to Damascus that light, that light, that, that was, would you say that's an encounter? When he, he, he's on his, on his way, this destructive road they called Damascus to go kill people. And he runs into this encounter with Jesus. This is why I'm always saying it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the spirit. Like you can't even serve Jesus without Jesus. You can't see Jesus without Jesus giving you the eyes to see himself. You understand? It takes, it takes the light of the Lord to walk in the light of the Lord and to keep you there. And what I, I really truly believe that the Lord is about to so visit the church. I don't mean just this building. I mean the church at large. We are the church. You are the church. And cause his light to so permeate it. My challenge to you this morning is do not resist the light of the Lord when he shines things, when he shines the light on dark areas of your life that you don't want healed or dealt with. He's looking for a mature body. Do you know the Bible says he's coming back for a spotless and wrinkle-free bride? How is that going to happen? By allowing the Lord to shine in our hearts.
exposing us to our own stuff and then yielding to his process until we are conformed more and more like him. The truth of the matter is, is we are not where we are, not because of not because of not having how should I say this, Lord? The truth of the matter is we are not we are not not there yet because of circumstances and people. We are not there yet because we haven't allowed him to shine his light in our hearts, in our lives to the degree that he wants to. Jesus is after a spotless bride, wrinkle-free. What is it in your life that the Lord's light is not penetrating? What attitude? What disposition? He says, be holy, therefore, for I am holy. Can you bring me up just a little bit? The Lord is more ready to get you there than you are. But it requires our partnership. It requires us fully yielding. You know, on a daily basis, I ask myself, why do I want that? Why do I, why do I have to have that? Why do I have to have it my way? Why do, I, why do I do what I do? The Apostle Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. <laughs> a person who I love says this all the time. He said, the only way the only way to keep what you have in the Lord and to protect and guard it is to keep going higher and higher in Jesus. That's the only way. The only way is to continue to press on and move forward in the Lord. The Lord's reminding me of something and I close at this. Do you know how the children of Israel ended up in Egypt? You know, when they ended up in bondage for how many years? 400. In slavery, they ended up building bricks for Pharaoh, being beaten, being murdered, having their children taken at, at, a, at a whim. No control over their lives. The Israelites, do you remember how they got there? If you hit rewind before Exodus, we find ourselves in Genesis. And we find a little boy who was a dreamer by the name of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He gets sold to Egypt. And then he begins to serve Egypt. He begins to serve Pharaoh. And he gets in a prestigious place of power. And the Bible says that he was a type and shadow of a savior who saved his whole family. But then the Bible says that when Joseph died, the next Pharaoh did not know the God of Joseph. And so what happened is Joseph's family stayed in Egypt after Joseph passed away and after the Pharaoh passed away. And therefore they stayed They didn't keep growing. 
if you listen to me, if you stay, if you stay the same spirit in the same spirit, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a church. I need you guys to hear this. I'm not talking about that. If you stay in the same place spiritually too long, you digress, digress. You digress. Smith Wigglesworth said it like this. If you don't progress spiritually within a two-week span, I call you a backslider. I didn't say that. I don't know if I would ever say that. If that's the case, I'm probably backslidden a time or 10 or 100 times. You have to be careful about not continuing to pursue the things of God. There is, in the kingdom, there is no staying in the same position. There is no maintaining anything. Forget that whole word, maintaining. You must go after Jesus more. You have to pursue him more. You have to get in his word. It's not about a doing. This is not a doing thing. It's about a being thing. Because when you hunger for him, it'll be easy to get into the word more. When you hunger for him, it's easier to wake up and pray a little more. When you want him and desire him, it's easy to show up at church on Sunday and not have to worry about other people calling you or need people to call you just to get you to church. It's out of a place of love. It's out of a place of desire. It's out of a place of passion. So everybody, just lift your hands to the Lord. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.